0: With us this morning, brilliant! Well, we're going to be opening the Bible, and if you've got uh, on your phone, your whatever you've got, electronic device, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 18. We're continuing the series of the cost, and what I'm really loving at the moment is this passage. This Matthew 18 passage is really bringing together our two um, uh, series. You know that Chuck and Taryn are talking about. The glory of God and stewarding God's presence. Uh, And then also this whole series around the cost. It does cost to follow Jesus. And and in Matthew chapter 18, it seems like these two kind of series are intersecting one another because we want to be a people, don't we, that steward the presence of God, become attractive to Jesus and that Jesus wants to be around us, not just in this gathered setting, but also as we interact with the world and, and our workplaces and stuff like that. We want Jesus with us all the time and we want his power and his presence to be operating and working through us. Wouldn't you agree? great. That was not a moment to be quiet. Okay, we're going to get into this today. Okay. Um, Rome wasn't built in a day. Remember that? That's what they say, don't they? But that quote is often misused because the other bit of it says, but it burned in one. (laughs) You know, there is the passage that we're going to be looking at this morning. It's quite a tough passage, but we need to understand the context of it. And so sometimes when we read things and see things at first glance, we're like, whoa, but actually there's more to it. I mean, check this picture out here. It's about to come up on the screen. I mean, that looks inappropriate. I mean, Michael Jackson all over again. For those of you, but, but when you look again, you see it's a train set. Ah, some of you are like, oh. And then what about this? Looks like she's been decapitated. That woman's not got a head. Where is the head? And then you realize it's a mirror. Ah, Things are not always what we think they are. And what about this next one? Look at that. I mean, mean, I've heard of hovercrafts. But it's about perspective, isn't it? See, our immediate reaction to something isn't always the accurate one. And I think we've got maybe one more. Look at that. What's going on there? I, when I first glanced at it, I thought that was a guy next to a lake. But actually, he's laying down on a fallen tree. My point is this. We're going to read this passage of Scripture together. And our, our immediate or first impressions of this passage might be, Ooh, that's a bit tough. Ooh, what is Jesus saying there? He's saying some hard stuff. But what we're then going to do is unpack the context, Okay. To get, so it sheds light on, uh, on the passage. Okay, alright, we good? We ready? Okay, let's open up. Matthew 18. Uh, we're going to read from verse 15. It's coming up on the screen. If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault. Just between the two of you. If he listens to you and you have won your brother over. But if he will not listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. I tell you the truth whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Some of us have heard these phrases before and have probably used them out of context. Um, And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three come together in my name, there I am with them. Can you understand now? When you read that passage, you're like, oh! Oh! That seems harsh, or maybe there's some harsh words in there. So let's just back up a little bit. And maybe if you want, if you've got a Bible, you can flick back to the very beginning of Matthew 18. Remember, Matthew 18, Jesus is beginning to teach on what is important in the kingdom. What is paramount in terms of the values. And last week we looked at um, humility is like a number one Thing or number one character that Jesus is looking for in his leaders and in particular in his community. Humility is front and central. And that pursuing position and power is what the world does, but to greatness comes through humility and servanthood. Right? So that's the beginning of the teaching. And then if you look down, it then Jesus begins to uh, talk about this parable of the lost sheep. And he says, let me tell you what's important about the kingdom is that my father in heaven, his heart is for those that are lost and have wandered. So humility is important in terms of the character, but actually the mission of God needs to be right at the heart of whatever we're doing. God's heart is out there where we leave the pen and the safety of the pen at times to go and pursue people that do not know him and out of love, we're willing to risk some stuff to go and to connect and to love and to reach and to share the gospel with them. So he's saying humility is important and let's keep the mission of God right front and central. And then we have this particular passage. And then right, at the, right behind this passage, we have the parable of, uh, of the unmerciful servant that's talking about Forgiveness. That forgiveness is another of, the, of core values in the kingdom of God. And a forgiving people attract the presence of God. And that parable is all about, hey, what we think is okay, or that society thinks is okay, where you forgive somebody once or twice or three times, or in this time, seven times, because you think, you know, seven times is good. Jesus goes, no, 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 not just seven times, seven, seven times. He takes the norm and he goes way beyond it. Because that's who Jesus is. And so the context of this whole passage about, now let's look at what is important in terms of relationships and unity and how we deal with issues in each other's lives is really important. We want God's presence to be around us and in our lives. So the question he wants to raise is how's your relationships? And not just how are your relationships, how have you resolved issues that have risen? And have you done it well? Because he values togetherness. And let's be honest, guys, the reality is there are times when our brokenness affects other people. It's not an excuse though, is it? But when our brokenness spills and connects and hurts other people, then what Jesus is teaching here is a a way of resolving those things really well. And when the body is together, when the body is healthy, his presence, at the end of that little bit I read, it says, I am going to be with you. So, Lord God, give us tender hearts today. Help me communicate your truth. We want our relationships and the condition of our relationships to be really good. We ask this in your name. Amen. You know, back in the day, um, who loved uh, sports day? Yeah, see, some people are like, other people are like, they're already like hiding. Do you know what I mean? So, hey, so believe it or not, I did a bit of high jump. Me, five foot, ten and a half. And actually, I'm not blowing my own trumpet here. I was all right. The problem was, I had to compete against a guy who was six foot six and and did high jump for Scotland. So the reality was, I was never going to win. I nearly always came second. You see, with high jump, yeah, the bar's here. And then if you jump that, the bar is raised. You see, Jesus is raising the bar. He is raising the standards of how we do relationships. The world does it like this, but we're going to do it like this. Did high jump? Anyone had a go at pole vault? Come on. There you go. You know what? They make it look easy, let me tell you. So I was about 17, Highland Games, up in, I don't know where it was, Dornoch or something. Me and my mate thought, hey, let's go, you know. And so I did, I had to go at the pole vault. I'm thinking it's gonna be fiberglass poles, you know, you trot up, and up you go. No, 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 no. This thing's like a bamboo rod with a massive spike on the end. I mean, I was like, what are we doing? It's like Braveheart all over again. You know, the English, they don't let us train with weapons. We've got to use big sticks, you know, you know, that kind of stuff. Anyway, so here I am, trotting along, th- you know, the bar, literally. I could, I could high jump higher than I could with the pole vault. There's something wrong there. But I had to go, you know, it was about this high. You know, there I am. Da-da-da-da-da. Slap this thing in. Whoa! straight through the bar. <laughs> I came third, though. Out of three. <laughs> But listen, Jesus in this passage, in this passage, in other passages, like when he's speaking about leadership, he's saying, guys, the world does it like this, but not us. Not us. We're going to do this differently. And I want to show you how we're going to do it differently. And I want to give you a course of action. To help us do it well. And so the reality is this guys. Verse 15 says this. If your brother or sister sins against you. The reality is it's going to (laughs) happen. Because we're family. And the reality is this. Because when we're called to Jesus. We're called to community. Aren't we? We're called to community. We might have been called to Jesus as an individual. And into a wonderful friendship. And faith in God. And we love that don't we? I mean I remember the day. I like had an, a really amazing encounter with God. It was me and God. It felt like it was just me and Jesus. In the room and in the world. You know that was it. And the disciples were each of them. Were called To Jesus. He personally asked them by name. Come and follow me. We have an individual call. But the reality is. He says that to whole loads of people. And pulls us in. To a community. And a journey together. You know the reality is. It's very difficult. To find a biblical model. Of permanent holy hermitry. It's not even a word. But you get the drift. We're not, Jesus doesn't call us to do a relationship with him on our own. We do it in community and family. And it's known as the body of Christ, the ecclesia of God, the called out of this world to a new kind of people, a new kind of community. And one of the things that we're going to do in the new is we're going to do relationships differently and we're going to resolve issues in a, a different way. Do you know what, guys? I'm sure there are seasons, like we've talked about the quietness thing. There are seasons in our lives where it's absolutely right to withdraw and spend time with God on our own. We should be doing that. But that's not a permanent state. The model that Jesus gives us throughout, you know, his the Gospels is that, yes, Jesus withdrew at times to connect with the Father to pray when decisions were to be made. But guess what? He comes down off the mountain and he reengages with people, with the disciples, and with the world, and he does it in community. So, when it's not so much, is this going to happen, but more like, when it happens. My brokenness at times is going to affect us, and vice versa. Let's not make it an excuse but let's apply what Jesus is saying so that we can grow, so that we can grow. I want to suggest that our relationships are often the pruning secateurs of discipleship. It's our engagement with one another and it's in those moments where actually we begin to grow in God. It doesn't happen when we're totally isolated and on our own being all holy out there or up a mountain it actually happens in the nitty gritty of engaging with each other that's where real growth happens so if we want to be a people that are growing in God and studying the presence of God we actually have to have some crucial conversations And those crucial conversations, there's a context to it, isn't it? And it is in our gathered community, amongst our friends. You know, Jesus said, you will know my disciples by how they prophesy. How they get words for one another. How they encourage each other. Yeah, maybe. How they perform meals or heal the sick. And we want all of that, don't we? But we know the answer is how they love one another. Jesus is redefining this moment of community. Let me explain to you what real love looks like. Real lo- love for one another looks like this. Be prepared to have some crucial conversations with one another. And let's do it in real love. It's, that's when it's, our love is really expressed. Because we've, we value one another. And we don't easily let go of each other. So Jesus has given us a course of action to follow. That actually makes it difficult for us to wander away from him and from one another. That's amazing, isn't it? He wants us to be in relationship with him. And we know that when we're out of relationship with one another, that affects our relationship with God. And so Jesus is saying, let me give you a way of putting that right, of resolving that, and restoring each other. And so the context is humility. The context is let's go the extra mile to bring somebody into God's presence. And that needs to be applied internally as well as externally. Let's be a forgiving people. The context is Here, we're going to do this in community because that is the one place where we express our love for one another and become a real witness to the world. But we need courage, don't we, to do this? I don't know about you. We need courage to do things differently, to swim against the tide of how the world does this stuff. I heard someone say this, maybe if we all sit super still, Monday won't see me. Or this, this maybe you're, sometimes you feel like, the moment I'm reading this passage, you're already feeling sick, because like you're like, conflict is like a thing you just do not like. And maybe you feel like this koala bear, I think I've got a little picture, that's about to come up, I hope, there you go, I hope Monday doesn't find me. <laughs> you know i think when we hear this passage and jesus is giving us a command to say actually relationships really count and so passivity is not an option for some of us that, who don't particularly like conflict or wouldn't necessarily want to go face to face and and actually approach someone for some of us it's like oh this is a this is like oh my goodness I'm not really enjoying this. Thanks, James. I really did want to come. You know, I was really excited about coming to church today. But now I'm here. I'm like, I, I'm hearing stuff I don't want to hear. You know, <laughs> I remember, you know, I love, I mean, remember Mr. Bean. Mr. Bean, you remember, there's that sketch he does, Roman actors, where, he, you know, you're watching people jump off the high board diving, and it's brilliant, and he's like, I can do that, you know, and so you see Mr. Bean in his speedos, you know, going up, and he's all awkward, and, and he's like, yeah, I can do this, I can. and then he gets to the high board, and, and it's like he's gripping the side of the high board, you know, and kind of looking down, you know, the reality is he needs courage to jump, I remember doing a bungee jump once, and uh, I was all up for it, you know and we can talk about this stuff about having crucial conversations and we're like that's right and it's god's truth but in the moment you're like we need courage we need courage to do things differently to address things and do it well because some of us wouldn't proactively like if we if someone said something to us or you know, we've been in a context where somebody's done something and we know it's not right and it's painful. Some of us would just be like, yeah, that's fine. That's, let them do it. But here the Lord is saying, no, have courage and go and speak to them. And so I think we need courage, those of us that don't particularly like to have these kind of crucial conflicts, we need courage to do it well. And then also I want to suggest this, for those of us that don't mind a bit of conflict, you also need courage. Courage to do it differently. You know, we've all been around people that just look for conflict. Listen, this is not a passage where Jesus is saying it's okay for everybody suddenly to become the moral police of the church and like go looking for issues in people's lives, you know, and get a yellow jacket on. You know, like a steward at an event. Have you ever been to an event? And, you know, these people suddenly get a yellow jacket and it's like, they're like, I've got authority. Authority. You know, and they're like telling everybody what to do. Listen, this is not a passage that just suddenly says, hey, you know, it's open day on everyone's stuff. First of all, the context is this. If a brother or a sister personally sins against you, personally, that means the context is somebody's done something to me, I need to now go to them. And so guys, there is a rejigging, there is a reshaping of whether we're passive and we're fearful of those moments or actually we're okay with conflict but we're running we do we do conflict from a wrong place the posture of this passage is restoration a healing it's about bringing people back into relationship with jesus and with one another So we're willing to die to a whole bunch of stuff ourselves to restore a brother or a sister. And so we need courage to follow the principles. So I just want to give, let's just look at a couple of the principles here. If it's personal sin, then we deal with it privately. We deal with it privately because we want to protect one another's dignity. Isn't that right? If I hurt somebody, whether it's intentionally or not, I want that person to come to me personally. I want them to sit down with me and look me in the eye and say, James, and I've had this. Because, you know, the reality is there are times I'm just insensitive. My wife will tell you that. I don't mean to be, but I can be. But there's not an excuse. You see, Jesus is saying, come to that person personally. Let's protect the dignity of that person because you don't know what's going on fully in their lives. You've just had a snapshot of something. And so when it happens personally, we go privately because we want to protect people's dignity. You know, there is no substitute for an honest chat, it produces transparency. Um, I learned a lesson a number of years ago. I was sitting with a mentor of mine. He was um, a, a very senior leader in our church here. Uh, I don't think he'll mind, but his name was Douglas. And Douglas and I had a great relationship. He, he, he did scare the life out of me occasionally, which probably wasn't a bad thing. But I remember going down to that. I walked into his office and we were chatting. And do you know, I began to talk about somebody that I had an issue with. And as, he, as I was speaking about this particular person, Douglas was reaching across and picking up a phone. This was before mobiles, by the way. You know, and he got a hold of the phone. And as he picked up the phone, he then said to me, James, have you had a conversation directly with that person? And I said, no. He says, well, you're about to. And he handed me the phone. And he had dialed their number. Let me tell you, oh my goodness, what, what, that is a learning curve, trust me. I was like, ah, I see he then, the phone went dead. He says, do, this is what he said to me. And, I, and this is what, I love it. Because I'm, I live with this. He said to me, do not ever come into my office and tell me about somebody else's stuff. When you haven't had the guts to go and sit with them and honor that relationship and value that relationship and go and sit with them and look them in the eye and say, hey, in humility and in honesty and care, I'm going to chat to them. I was like, oh, I was rebuked. And rightly so. The worst thing that we can do in a community like this is we employ triangulation. That we're afraid to go and speak to that person for whatever reason. And so what we do is we solicit other people and we kind of try and bring them onto our side. uh, Before we even go to that, it is a very dishonoring thing. And this is what Jesus is getting now. In my kingdom, we do things differently. Listen, we live in community. We live in neighborhoods. We have part, we're part. we in job context where triangulation happens all the time. And it actually confuses and it actually distorts and it actually corrodes relationships in a really bad way. And Jesus is saying, hey, we do this differently. But it takes courage. And it brings health to the body. You're all looking at me like, hmm. We don't often do this sort of stuff in our church. We don't often talk about, you know, the slightly tougher stuff. But I want to say to you guys, listen, in our church, I think we do this pretty well. But let's encourage one another to continue to do so. And practically, guys, why do we operate? Why does Jesus ask us to do it like this? The why is this? Because we really love and care for one another and we value each other. So if we really value one another, we're not going to tell somebody else. We're going to go ourselves first and foremost. And we're going to hear it for ourselves. And we're going to be like, hey, I'm for you. And when are we going to do that? Because crucial conversations are important. So we understand the principles, don't we guys? Yeah? Why we're going to do it. When are we going to do it? Like that when is really important. if you know that that person's having a really stressful time don't go and hijack them in the moment and address the issue with them that's not going to be helpful is it why because we do this with care and compassion and commitment to the person so the when is also important you know to be honest on sunday mornings isn't always the best time to address issues But to organize a coffee outside, to go to the place where they can meet, says something about, hey, I'm willing to travel to where you are to to actually talk this thing through, whatever it is. And can I just say, in the the world of email and Instagram and all of that, listen, I do think in this moment, you know, let's take it literally. Let's go and actually have a conversation with that person face to face. Because email, my goodness, email is so helpful at times, and at other times, unbelievably like misleading. Because you have no idea of the texture of the question. You don't know what's on, You know the, the look on their face. You, you know what I mean? You, you with me? So I actually think, you know what? Yeah, text them and say, hey, can we catch up? I'd love to chat to you. When's a good time for you? And do that sort of thing and then the how how do we do this stuff well let's come back to the original context of Matthew 18 and the opening gambit is what humility is come center stage We address stuff in one another's life and we go to one another in humility. We come with open hands and an open heart. That The possibility, if we really are humble, then actually we're in a place of teachability as well. Because we realize we have not got it all sewn up. So we go to that person with love and care and we say, listen, I offer you this. When you said that, this is what's going on. Can we have a conversation? And we come with a real sense of humility in the mix. And in my experience, when you come with humility, it just deals with the defensiveness of a person. It disarms. Humility disarms people. And it fosters honesty together. See, crucial conversations don't actually have to be a big deal anymore, do they? When we come humbly, you're saying, I'm going to trust you, Lord. And I love this person. And I believe the best about them. And I want the best for them. So when we come with humility, it disarms. And we go willing to listen. So we need courage. But also in this process, and we might not get through all of this today. But the reality is we want to get to a place of clarity. And sometimes to get to clarity, sometimes we need a third person. Now we would hope when you come with honesty and openness and humility and you approach people in the right attitude, you get to a place of clarity. Like I would say 90% of the time that's what happens because I know in this church we foster an environment where I am for you and you are for me and I'm open to the possibility that I got it wrong. Yeah? Yeah? But there are times where mm, emotions are running high. The perspective isn't clear. Or maybe you've got a couple of people that actually have maybe not been around um, the community very long. And biblically, they ha- they're they like, I'm not quite sure how to deal with this. Then there is an appropriate moment to bring a third person in. And Jesus is saying, you can do it now. He says, bring a partner. Bring a partner. Not just any partner, though, guys. You don't go and solicit your best mate and get him on board. You do... <laughs> That's not, that, again, that is not going to be helpful. I want to suggest to you the wise thing to do in these kind of moments, and you can apply this in the work context or whatever. Find somebody that you both respect. Find somebody who's maybe, you know, a little bit further down the line. Maybe it is a biblical thing that you're kind of wrestling with. Bring somebody who you know has, has got a bit more biblical understanding and knowledge around that thing and then bring them into the fray because again I don't know about you but my experience is this is that when two people then come and say no 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 no, really we really want you to hear our hearts but when you said that or when you did that you really did actually hurt some people and we want to hold you now there's an extra weight when two come and I've had that and it's been really healthy for me Listen, it's not about winning arguments. We can win an argument and lose a friend. That is not the posture of this. It's not about winning arguments. It's about restoring people. Our good friend, um, Paul Reed, who used to lead a church in Belfast, amazing godly guy, he once said this, if there's a grain of truth in a criticism, take it. But ditch the packaging. You see, this whole process and course of action is about grace. And it's about believing the best in one another. And so when there is critique, let's take the grain and look beyond sometimes the way that people say it. But we want clarity. We want clarity, don't we? Because that's really, really important. We want to help each other follow him. And I think when this process is done well, with real compassion, with real care, and real commitment, do you know what? The reality is hard. It's it's hard to wander off and away from Jesus and biblical truth. Remember the context. One of uh, the passages before this is the sheep that's gone astray the heart of the father is that for us is that we would go the extra mile to bring them in it's this is this process is that is happening internally within the church and within the within the body that the heart our heart is to go the extra mile to bring people back in and make it difficult for us to fall back into sinful behavior and sin that would begin to hurt one another And ultimately sin that could bring the body of Christ into disrepute and become a poor witness. And so it's like there are a whole bunch of kind of ways that that, that Jesus is like saying let's put a whole bunch of markers in to stem that from actually happening. See this is becoming an encouraging thing now, not a scary thing. I want you guys to hold me accountable because I do not want to stray because the human heart it can be unbelievably deceitful. I uh I, you know I, I, I watch some YouTube stuff and all of that and uh, there was this <laughs> it was like with it Funny Fails or whatever? You know, we've all probably watched some of them. But there was this moment where... I think it was in Russia. It was in, a, in an army camp. And uh, I, I, I don't know if there's a handbrake on a tank. But anyway, the guy forgot to put it on. And so there's this footage of a tank... Slowly beginning to roll. Not that it, there's a hill, but it's not a steep hill, and it's slowly beginning to move. And suddenly, all these guys in army uniform are running out. And then, how do you stop a, like a ten-ton, uh, you know, tank, you know, that's designed to bring destruction? Anyway, so this thing's starting to move and these guys are throwing bricks under the tracks and they're getting bigger bricks and they're putting anything and everything in front of this tank and this tank's just slowly rolling over them. But eventually, because they're all at it and they're throwing bricks down, they're throwing bricks down, eventually this huge tank comes to a stop and you can see them all going, oh my gosh, that could have been disastrous. Jesus has laid down a course of action. We're not throwing bricks in front of people. We're throwing ourselves in front of people. We're saying, mate, don't wander. I'm coming to you. I'm putting a brick down and saying, don't. You know, I love you. I care about you. But the reality is for some, and there are moments... Where the bricks just aren't enough. And it's absolutely gotten. And so here, Jesus is really talking about an absolute worst case scenario when somebody is just convinced and is justifying their behavior. Because that's what sin does when it gets a hold, it twists and it changes some stuff in us to the point where we can justify our behavior. And actually, we stop listening. If you read that passage again, three times that word listen comes up. The key is listening. Let's be a listening people to one another. And in this worst case scenario, we don't know what the sin is because Jesus is painting the picture. But this person doesn't listen. And in their heart, they have set the trajectory of and course of action. So what do you do in that situation? I think, and I know the passage says this. It says, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen, even to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. You know what? First bite, that sounds harsh. But, but the reality is, when the heart has chosen and will not listen what is happening here is this, and you've done all you can, individuals, a small group, the leadership of a church, and that person is not listening. What they have already done in their heart is they have stepped out of community. In fact, what they've done is they've stepped out and saying, I don't want to listen to you. I actually don't want to listen to God, and I do not want to listen to the Bible. You see, they've already stepped out of community. And that is a really gutting thing. But but how did Jesus treat a tax collector? How did Jesus treat pagans? Remember who's writing this book? We're in Matthew's gospel. What did Matthew do? He was a tax man. What was Zacchaeus? A tax guy. Who robbed from the poor. Who took advantage of the poor. But how did Jesus treat them? He treated them with real love. With real compassion. But he also challenged them. And so Jesus lands this little process. uh, With still the door is open. But the way back is repentance. People... We have to, they have to have a heart change. And so there is consensus language here around binding and loosening and all of that. And really, and I'm sure in this church we've used that language in other ways. But here the context is relationships and the context is getting to a place of a consensus and agreement. And when you've thrown yourself like the bricks in front of a tank. And you've done everything possible. Then what we agree in church. And what we agree as leaders. There is a loosening and a releasing of those people. And we pray like mad. That God would bring them back in. Would soften their hearts. We've done everything we can to resolve and to restore people's hearts and so guys let's land i want to land, and i know i've spoken for a while this morning and i'm, I'm guessing that this chat is going to precipitate a whole maybe a few other conversations and and you might want to come and chat to me after or i was going to say drop me an email <laughs> But, but look at this, and, and this is where our, the cost of following Jesus is this that we 're called to a higher way of loving one another, a higher standard to be to openness to others that you know and love you, a higher standard of asking them to speak into your life. Look at the very end of this passage for where two or three come together in my name there. Am I with them? When we come together well to address stuff, Jesus is there. Isn't it? Think about this. Let's look around the room and all of the influence that we have here, all of the relationships that we have here. When we are together well, the promise is there. I am with them. We want the presence of God. To be powerfully displayed amongst us. That I want my relationships to be right. And I want to do conflict well. And we do not need to be afraid of it. Because he is with us. Is that helpful today? I am with them. Or rephrased. I am is with us. I am The Old Testament language of God is with us. Shall we stand?